It's May 19, 2021. Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, we'll have Phil Bossert from the Hawaii Association for Independent Schools here to tell us about the governor's emergency education relief, or call it's called GEAR, Innovation Fund Grant. And then uh, right after that, we'll be talking to Sky Kaveloa and Kyler Tandel. And, of course, uh, they're here to tell us about the 2021 Overwatch League tournament that recently took place in Hawaii. So right now, we want to get right to the, um, the, the show and the details around something that's happening over at the uh, with, uh, you know, with uh, this uh, federal money that's becoming available. I want to welcome Phil Bossert from HIS, who's here to tell us about the new innovation grant program called GEAR. Welcome to the show, Phil. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Bert. So, Phil, this is a, this is a um, well, tell us a little bit of where did this money come from? This is a federal money that uh, was, I think, what, part of uh, the CARES uh, the CARES Act? Yeah. Uh, this this round is uh, there's three rounds of the gear funds, but this, this money right now is from the CARES Act, uh, which included for every governor in the United States uh, an allotment of funds for them to decide how they wanted to use it to support education, both uh, K-12 and uh, university level education. So it was a was it pretty uh, free reign to do. Uh, whatever sort of project might might uh, have been thought of and ideated and, and created. I mean, how did you guys come up with with the ideas that uh, you know associated the yeah, however much money you folks got for the gear program? I mean, how, what, how did you guys decide what kind of programs would be funded? Yeah, so uh, Hawaii got just under ten million dollars, mm-hmm. and um, the the governor called together about ten or Twelve people, uh, including myself and David Lasner from the university and Christine Kishimoto from DOE and um, and some other folks from the actual schools, public, private, and charter schools. And then he just said, you know, I've got this, these funds. I want to do something innovative. Um, what kind of ideas do you have? Mm-hmm. And so we had several meetings, uh, uh, about an hour each, and brainstormed um, and came up with several projects, um, and one of them uh, was about $5 million was given to the University of Hawaii to um, to put up a um, what's called the Hawaii Online Portal for Education, which uh, I won't talk about now, but it's been underway for almost a year getting ready for a, a summer program for teachers to help develop curriculum uh, and get paid for their time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the other, uh, there was also some smaller grants uh, of about a hundred thousand that went to several um, education uh, entities, and then about four million, or a little more than four million, what uh, originally to uh, set up this innovation grant uh, program, and um, about. Um, I don't know, maybe five hundred or six hundred thousand of that, uh, in a, before the four million, six hundred thousand went to um, the DOE to to sort of pilot this program, and the DOE piloted uh, the effort during the past uh, eight or nine months, um, and sort of worked some kinks out of it. And so uh, last week, 
the governor announced that the major part of those funding, uh, a little under $4 million, would be used for um, major innovation grants, so in the range of 100000 to 500000 um, and it'll be available to lower, I mean, K-12 or higher education, also uh, the uh, education nonprofits uh, can participate and, and the like. So, so you you mentioned a couple of timelines. One is that uh, this was kind of piloted over a course of the, maybe the last eight or nine months. Uh, the the uh, the press conference was maybe what a, a week ago, maybe yeah, week ago, yeah, yeah a week ago. Uh, but there's uh, so there's for the innovation grant program that you're talking about, four million dollars. It needs to be applied for, uh, but there's a very short window for application. Is that correct? Yeah. That's true. So the deadline for applications is June the 4th uh, at midnight. and um, But the application process is pretty simple. They're looking for like a one-page description of what you and your team are planning to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they'll scan those. Uh, the judges will scan those and uh, select ones that look promising and then those teams will be invited to sort of a Shark Tank presentation, 15-minute presentation with no more than five slides um, before a panel of judges mm-hmm. um, to sort of, you know, pitch your idea, uh, elevator pitch your yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so will this uh, will this uh, Shark Tank be a public event? Or, you know, obviously the judges, are, is, is it going to be uh, kind of a, you know, an event that people can can uh, participate, not participate, but actually wa- watch and witness? I don't know the answer to that question. Um, uh, the I think they haven't uh, worked out all the details of, of the Shark Tank. Okay. But uh, it'll be uh, middle of June because they hope to make the awards at the end of June. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so how... Uh, and you know, real quickly, how did you how did you guys chum the water for projects? Um, so we've been um, basically putting out all the different ways we can on using some of the universities' mailing lists and the private school mailing lists and the public school mailing lists to mm-hmm. get the word out. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and it's been uh, on the when it was governor's announcement. Um, it went out on all the TV stations, and um, and I think you said you heard it on public radio. So it's it is making the rounds. Yeah, no, great. Uh, so so Phil, where can people find out the details if they want to submit an application or submit a, uh, a proposal? So the best place to go is to the governor's website, and under the tab called priorities, there's an. Uh, a, item called education and if you click on that the information about the uh, innovation grants extensive information as well as the application uh, forms uh, are all there and and I'll just mention real quick that you know as opposed to just having like one school or one entity apply they're looking for collaborative entities that you know maybe multiple schools or a nonprofit in two or three schools or a university and a K-12 school or something like that. So they want big ideas uh, that will last. And uh, 
and I'll just also quickly mention that the, um, the, the idea is, because it's related to the COVID uh, grant, is that what did we learn during this last 15 months about how we might do education a little bit better and, uh, and some of the things that we think would be good ideas, let's put some money into it and see if we can make them uh, even better and, and more long-lasting. Okay, sounds great. I'll put that up on our uh, show notes for later on tonight. Mahalo, Phil, for joining us. Thank you for having me, Bert. And, of course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Sky Kaviloa and uh, Kyler Tando. And, of course, we'll talk about the Overwatch League tournament. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm happy to welcome Sky Kaviloa, and he's a PhD candidate, also leads the University of Hawaii's eSports Academic Task Force, and Kyler Tandle from EMP Live Designs, and they're here to Give us some insights into esports and the recent Overwatch League tournament. I want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Hello. How's it going? Okay, so let's start with with Sky. Sky, tell us a little bit about uh, how did this uh, Overwatch League end up doing the tournament here in Hawaii? I mean, who who made the, the you know the right phone call to make it happen? Uh, Sky, you there? Apologies. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so um, it was sort of by sheer chance in some respects that this was um, um, was able to be, be done because it was a, a meeting with um, an Overwatch representative and also a UH uh, uh, sports representative at a, at a global sort of innovation Zoom session mm-hmm. that got this kicked off. Um, and they, you know, Overwatch was eager to do something in, in, uh, in Hawaii, and they found out that you know there was a UH representative there, and talks began, and slowly um, those talks were filtered down to to us at UH Esports, and and that's kind of the beginning of it all. Um, you know, it was really kind of just sheer chance in some respect. So, what, I mean, was it was it really driven by the fact that the Overwatch folks wanted to do something in Hawaii, or was there, you know, was there some other benefit that that Hawaii presented? Uh, to this uh, to this uh, competition, the main thing was really the transmission uh, latency rates. You know, we as soon as I was able to be brought into the conversation with Overwatch, we started transmission testing in December, and that lasted for about three months. And it was literally a make it or break it uh, decision. Were we able to get the transmission rates under 100 milliseconds from UH, the iLab mm-hmm. center? Mm-hmm to the Tokyo servers, the AWS servers that they're running the, uh, the game on. Mm-hmm. If we were able to get uh, under 100, we passed. If we were not, it was going to be a problem. That was basically it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and uh, Kyler, so what, what kind of role did you play in, in this, uh, you know, this term- tournament unfolding? Yeah, so for me, um, I was one of, the, I think, one of the later people to be brought in on the project just because they had to keep it a little hush-hush, you know. There was a lot of NDAs going around and all of that. But once we knew that, okay, this was coming, this is happening, um, Sky reached out to me and was like, all right, this is what's going down. Um, you know, I'd love to have you on board as, you know, one of the community you know community heads for esports in Hawaii. Um, 
you know, I do a lot of productions and I've previously done a lot of local events uh, for esports and gaming. So Sky Guys pretty much just gave me the ring of like, hey, this is happening. We're not sure what we're going to need. We don't really know what's going to happen. We don't really know, you know, everything that's going to be required of us. But we want you there to just help make sure this runs smoothly, help make sure that, you know, the Overwatch League guys, you know, we don't we don't look like we don't know what we're doing. Or we <laughs> yeah, be. right, right. We want to make sure we put on a good show for them. Put on a good, you know, make sure we show to them that hey, Hawaii knows what they, you know, knows what they're doing. And so that's where I came along to just make sure, hey, whatever they needed, we got it. No, so you bring up a great point. I mean, they, uh, they, the Overwatch uh, organizers are going to be bringing in kind of like their people, uh, but it's it's happening, you know, here in Hawaii. So there's obviously going to be some on the ground logistics that need to be taken care of and. And and in a way, I mean, that was kind of like your role. Then you you sort of were the interface between the the Overwatch people and then the 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 local on the ground logistics. Uh, I wouldn't say I was the direct interface. I think Sky and Kevin were you know they were still involved. They were the great you know faces of what was going on. I was just more of like like a QA rep, so speaking. You know I mean, like a quality control, or right. quality assurance, just making sure that if it happens, we're going to do it smoothly. We're going to make sure it gets done well, and we're going to make sure that. You know, they don't leave thinking, man, those guys, oh boy, that was such a pain to work with. Like, it was pulling teeth. Like, no, we wanted to make sure it was as easy as and painless as possible for the Overwatch League guys. Oh, no, that's good. Okay, so Sky, you were talking about latency. And, and typically, what is our uh, routing path that, that uh, usually traverses the Pacific Ocean? I mean, usually it goes to the West Coast, right? Yeah, that was the the issue, really, at the end of the day, was, um, you know, can we direct the routes um, normally to sort of Chicago and, and the West Coast? You know, often, you know, these servers are, are lo- these gaming servers are located often in the West Coast. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, of course, they've moved towards the, the central part of the United States, uh, Chicago being a very popular place for, for gaming servers now. Um, and so the data that we were routing um, was actually going into the, those central servers, um, which basically increased transmission rates to 120 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of um, a big no. Um, right, because, so, I mean, if you, don't, if you don't, let's say, change the routing tables, uh, typically, you know, your route would go somewhere on the mainland and, and, and probably get routed back over to Tokyo if that's where the servers are. And, and so, you, what, did somebody have to, you know, go in and uh, kind of program some routers so that the you know the traffic from the iLab was going directly to Japan. Yeah, exactly. And so, sort of the the unsung heroes here for for making that happen is the the ITC side of things at UH, mm-hmm. um, the the information technology people that that worked with us very closely. They were able to take that data and figure out. And again, you know, um, part of the benefit of working at a university, a public university, is that, you know, those routing tables have often been sort of simplified through sort of Internet 2 um, protocols. Um, that was something that uh, Overwatch uh, folks were kind of like gushing over is that those, those routing tables are, are quite simplified or simplified because of those, those associations with, with Internet 2 and public universities um, having those, those certain routing tables. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this was very much, like I said before, um, you know, the unsung heroes here are really the, the ITC folks that were able to get that transmission directly from, from the iLab directly to AWS servers. And um, once that was accomplished, it was both, you know, a relief on our side at UH, but also shock um, that, that even 
Owl would consider even doing the tournament, consider doing the tournament still under 90 milliseconds. Because mm-hmm. we thought, you know, gosh, we wanted to actually hit, you know, below 50 milliseconds because, you know, 90 milliseconds is what we're kind of used to in Hawaii. We were, you know, we were very sort of self-conscious about those, those, those 80 to 120 milliseconds. And we wanted to see, like, you know, is it really possible it's still at 90 milliseconds? But they were, they were very adamant that, yeah, we could still do it at 90 milliseconds. And and the the teams that uh, were uh, you know participating here uh, in Hawaii were actually representative of the U.S. Right, so so the U.S. teams were here in Hawaii, and and who were they playing against? Yeah, so I think I can answer that one pretty easily for you guys here. But that was the so the two teams that represented the U.S. were the Dallas Fuel um, and the Florida Mayhem. So both of those teams are actually owned by um, Endemic Gaming Arts. Uh, in Dallas is owned by Team Envy, which is a, like an esports team. And then Florida Mayhem is also owned by Misfits Gaming, which is another esports team. Mm-hmm. But they played two Chinese teams uh, under the names of the Shanghai Dragons and the Chengdu Hunters, which both of them are actually owned by like streaming services slash network companies, where Shanghai is owned by this company called NetEase. And then the Chengdu Hunters is owned by a uh, company called Huya, which is like the Chinese version of Twitch, if anybody knows what Twitch is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's interesting. That's, you know, and, and I was uh, able to catch some of the weekend play uh, when it was, uh, you know, streamed on, on YouTube live. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I was kind of interested in, in some of the teams that actually uh, were, or the players that were uh, comprised these uh, these teams. I want to I want to kind of um, maybe get into a little bit more about you know the the team formation and and Kyler I think you can probably fill fill me in on that but why don't we uh, kind of hold that thought we'll be right back after this uh, short break to continue our conversation with Sky Kaviloa and Kyler Tandel we're talking about esports and the Overwatch League tournament this is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Sky Kaviloa over at the UH Esports Task Force and Kyler Tandel, and he's from EMP Live Designs. And we're talking about how the Overwatch tournament went and the future of esports uh, here in Hawaii. And of course, right before the break, we're talking about the, you know, the teams. Okay, so Kyler, you know, I was uh, watching the live stream and and I was looking at the uh, the the Dallas and Florida team, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'll see uh, a mix of, of 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 folks that that you know I, I you know would perhaps you know represent that particular region of of uh, the US but uh, they they were all pretty much uh, looks like uh, south koreans to me so how do these teams actually form yeah so the interesting thing about the way that overwatch uh, specifically in their esports scene happens is that there is no limitation on imports right you can pretty much pick up a team from wherever you can find them Mm-hmm. So um, in a game, and specifically for Overwatch, it's a game that's very heavily dominated by South Koreans. Uh, and so what ends up happening sometimes is that uh, teams will watch players from all over the world. Um, so if you imagine that the Overwatch League itself is like the, the MLB, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's the big show, right? It's the big time. 
Um, there's actually divisions below that, like your AAA ball, like your AA ball. That that does happen regularly around the world, and it's still um, kind of an Overwatch or Blizzard rather keeps an eye on it, but it's not necessarily ran super heavily or super you know super prestigiously, but it does exist. And so sometimes teams will just watch you know what they call the Contenders League for Overwatch, mm-hmm. and they'll just watch it. That's the that's the AAA ball equivalent, and they'll just watch it to see. All right, looks like this team is doing really well. You know what? Let's just sign them. Let's just take. Sometimes they'll take a whole team. Sometimes they'll take you know some of the star members. It really just depends. But you know, I think in the case of like Dallas, that was one of the things where coming into this year, they brought a lot of their players from all over, you know, from different regions, from different teams. But really, just making sure they could get their best team possible. And when you're doing an all Korean roster, you don't have to worry about well, can they speak English? Can they, you know, how well are they able to adjust to Western lifestyle? which sometimes we see which, uh, with one of the biggest teams in the league with the San Francisco Shock. They mm-hmm. have like a bilingual roster where there's some players from North America, some Koreans, but the majority of them like that we saw at least in this tournament were all, all Korean or all in the Chinese teams, all Chinese or you know, in some kind of mixture of that. So Kyler, you know the, the Chinese teams, were they pretty much all Chinese? Yeah, so actually uh, the Chengdu Hunters, I believe they are full Chinese. They're a full Chinese team. Mm-hmm. And I'm double-checking right now, but I'm pretty sure Shanghai is a uh, full Korean. So that's another interesting one where they have um, the former MVP of the league from last year, and this kid who's named by, is by the name of Fleta. He, uh, he used to be in the States and then decided, you know what, Shanghai wanted him, so they were going to pay him, and so they moved him over there. To China, or uh-huh. basically, when the team moved back to China, the team moved with them. Yeah, yeah. So, so Sky, uh, <clears throat> you know, how how tied to geography are any of these teams? So, you know, there's a Dallas team, there's a Florida team. I mean, you know, could there be a Hawaii team? And how how tied to the geography would that team be? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a thing that we have to sort of consider within esports because it, you know, in some some respects, it does map to traditional sports, mm-hmm. but in many respects, because it has this, this sort of digital global nature to it, um, uh, ties to geography in place are not as important as, as competition and skills. So, you know, if we think about how teams are formed, we have to, have to consider, like, who buys these teams? Right. Who ends up creating these teams? And in a lot of situations, it comes from previous owners of other esports organizations who have teams already. And so when we look at, for example, you know, like Dallas and, and, and Florida, you know, these are organizations that play in other games already or actually are competitive in other titles already. And they might pick up a, a team because it is, number one, a new game. And Overwatch was explicitly created back in 2018 as a eSports league. One of the few examples in eSports where an organization or a developer or a publisher said, you know what, we're going to actually create a game in which we build from the ground up to be an eSport. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what they did. And so, you know, entrepreneur-minded owner, or, you know, owners of eSports organizations were just like, okay, this is good, we'll get into it, and we'll buy a team, um, which, you know, range from, you know, 15 20 to $30 million slot to actually get into the franchise. And um, that's how it's created. Or on the one hand, as Kyler pointed out, it could be sort of these, these Chinese billionaires who want to own a team just for the fun of it. Um, and so it does raise interesting questions as the motives of why these teams are created, because at the end of the day, there is a very slim association between birthplace, you know, history of home, 
and geography and where these teams are created in the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kyler, you know, in terms of the, the tournament, I mean, can you share maybe some dollar figures that were uh, at stake here? I mean, what were the winnings? What were the amounts of the winnings on these kinds of tournaments? Yeah, so these, so these, so I think the big stakes that you want to keep your eyes out for was that this was part of their grand scheme of like the entire run of tournaments that they play for. Mm-hmm. So you know, in some ways, this was worth tournament points, league points, they call it, right? Where that's more important to the teams themselves because that means they get points that can qualify for them for the big pot at the end of the year. You know, when they do their grand finals tournament. But in terms of just Rick prize pool of what these guys won just for playing in this one. Um, it was a prize pool of just shy of a quarter million, right, with $225,000 U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the winners, right, so Dallas Fuel, one of the teams that came down here, they walked away with a hundred grand in their pocket. Um, Shanghai Dragons, the team that they played in the finals, they took her home 70 grand. Uh, and then Florida Mayhem, the other team that flew down, got 35. And then the Chengdu Hunters, Again, the other Chinese team, they, they took home $20,000. So mm-hmm. still not bad money, but uh, these, again, to keep in mind, this all is stuff. This is just a mini tournament that comes around in relation to the big tournament that they're going to do at the end of the year, their finals, the playoffs. Okay, okay. okay. So so this was just a, a mini tournament. And uh, like you said, the finals, uh, the, big, the big tournament is at the end of the year. Uh, I'm curious from both of you, uh, and maybe Kyler, you can start. I mean, what what's the future for Hawaii in this sort of esports ecosystem? I mean, to me, I, I think me and, me and Sky talk about this pretty regularly when it comes to what we hope can happen in Hawaii. But I think for me, what I'd like to see is more companies seeing this as a way of being like, you know what, you know, maybe we won't do things all the time in Hawaii. But I'd like to think that we can be a, a you know, like a destination event type of deal where, you know, just like, just like how you have the you know the Pro Bowl here in Hawaii, right? Where mm-hmm. it's not something that's a regular season match. It doesn't really have, you know, a big impact on the the standings or you know the overall competitiveness of the league. But to run like a fun little All Stars event or something like that, you know, here in Hawaii, I think it's very possible. I think this was one of the things that opens the door to door to those conversations of like. Hey, maybe we can start running events out of Hawaii. You know, they've got a good, you know, structure there. They've got good people there that are willing to help us. We can, and you know, hopefully from there, as that grows, then who knows? You know, that the next step that comes out of that, I'm I'm sure Sky has ideas for that. But hey, Sky. That's, so that's, so you sorry. know, in terms of uh, the future of, of of esports in Hawaii, and then we only got about a minute, so you got to be quick on this one. But is remote play? something to be continued or do they all have to be in the arena playing against each other, you know, all in place? Yeah. So, you know, the, the future we hope is that we can be a hub for global esports as we think about different cities, you know, Hawaii definitely um, um, can make the case now, at least for Overwatch, but I think for other games, but um, we can also consider, yeah, remote play as part of the menu of options as we move into, um, you know, the post COVID future where, you know, islands are becoming sort of hotbeds of interest. Uh, right now, we have Riot Games working with the government in Iceland and holding tournaments there. We have Guam working with, you know, with Valve um, and 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 the game CS:GO and, and using their servers as sort of equidistant location between Russia, East Asia, and the United States. So, Sky, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to kind of end it there. Uh, where can people find out more about uh, sort of this uh, esports activity? 
Yeah, so at least for UH, um, in Twitter, at UH Esport, without the E, and also on Instagram, at UH Esport. Good, I'll put that up on our show notes. Guy Cavillo is a PhD candidate, PhD candidate over at uh, UH, and also part of the Esports Task Force, and Kyler Tandel is uh, EMP Live Designs. I want to thank you all for joining us today. And, of course, thank you for listening to Bite Mars Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about the International Collegiate Programming Contest. If you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HBR One every Wednesday or anytime via the HBR app, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. You stay safe, stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Mm-hmm.